Okay, well, let's pray together and let's get into this word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to teach your word and uh, for those here in the room and for those that will join us live and for those that will join us later uh, via the podcast or other means that we've uh, made this available. I just pray that we'll open our hearts to you, that you'll, you'll open, our, open your word to us and that we will be receptive to everything that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, we've been in John chapter 12 for a couple of weeks now. We've been in John all year, and we've been going verse by verse through this. Um, Jesus has come to the point uh, that he called in his ministry that he called his his hour, right? Um, so this is uh, the, the passion of the Christ, if you will. Um, this takes up the largest portion of all of the Gospels. That is the place where um, Jesus enters Jerusalem that final week where he gives his life on the cross. Um, that is the main purpose for Jesus coming to earth. He didn't just come to earth to be a good example. Uh, he didn't just come to earth to do miracles. Um, he didn't just come to earth to uh, you know, tell us what to do and then go back to heaven. He came to earth to give his life for our sins. As uh, the writer of John's gospel says in John 1, verse 29, um, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus came. That's the primary purpose. Um, these other purposes are secondary and tertiary. Um, John's gospel is intended to demonstrate and prove to us that John, that Jesus, John proves, is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, who um, came so that uh, our sins could be removed, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So um, he's come to that point. Uh, John chapter 12 is the triumphal entry, right? You know, you remember Palm Sunday. Um, that we celebrate every year, the Sunday before Easter, where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and they waved palm branches. They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus rides in and in the synoptic gospels, he cleanses the temple, right? The whip of cords and he drives out the money changers from the temple. Um, in John's gospel, now when I say the synoptics, I mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Okay. That's just a broad term, synoptic, that means they all three see things from a similar viewpoint. If you've ever read your New Testament, you start in Matthew, and then when you get to Mark, you're, you know, if you were paying attention to Matthew, you're like, wow, there's a lot of the same things here. And, and you know, a lot of the same sayings. And, and then you get to Luke, and you're, you're like, oh, well, wow, there's a lot of the same things here, too. That's why they're called the synoptics, um, uh, just uh, from the same view is what that means. And then John comes along, and John is the fourth gospel, of course, in our New Testament, but it's also written last in, in time, in chronology. And um, he presents things from a different viewpoint. Now, that's not a different Jesus, like, you know, for instance, uh, 100, 150 years later, these, this philosophic school called Gnosticism started uh, using Jesus as sort of a mascot for their philosophy. And um, 
they really present a very, very different Jesus. It's not just from a different viewpoint, it's a different Jesus. This is definitely the same Jesus. It's just being presented from um, a more unique point of view, right? So with that said, um, John has Jesus cleansing the temple at the outset of his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry. Well, um, there are commentators who would say, well, what that means is that John is just organized thematically and he wanted to present the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of his ministry. Other commentators, and these are the ones that I would agree with, said, no, Jesus cleansed the temple twice, right? He came in and cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and then he came in and cleansed the temple uh, at the end of his ministry. Well, John only presents one of those. And uh, so, but nonetheless, uh, I just want to put you in the, the frame of mind so you'll understand what's going on and where we are. So we're, we're at that point in the, at the last um, week of Jesus' ministry. And um, time-wise, John's very good at presenting us or providing us, I should say, with um, the time. Um, here we have Jesus entering Jerusalem. The last time reference we've had is when Jesus had arrived in Bethany and it says that he arrived six days before um, the Passover, which would mean that he had arrived there uh, and well, it's actually, it says he arrived there and he had a dinner at the, um, that uh, he had a dinner that Lazarus was at and Martha was serving and Mary was at, okay? And that dinner was, uh, was served six days before the Passover. That would have meant it was the Saturday, right? Before Good Friday. So this is the next day. Um, the triumphal entry, which is the Sunday, right? And that's how we, we celebrate it. Um, but beyond that, we don't have any uh, time markers. So all of these uh, incidents that in John chapter 12 could have taken place on that Sunday, or honestly, they could have taken place anytime during that week because John just doesn't give us time markers, all right? So... Um, I split the passage up last week. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to back up and I'm going to read what Jesus said beginning in verse 27, but then we're going to cover, um, verses 34 through 36. Okay. So let's look at John 12, 27 through 36, right? I'm going to be reading from the new America's standard Bible. Jesus says, now my soul has become troubled. And what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he was saying this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. The crowd then answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how is it that you say the son of man must be lifted up? 
who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. So the one who walks in the darkness did not, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus proclaimed and he went away and hid himself from them. That's verse, uh, the end of verse 36. Actually, I just remembered I concluded at verse 26 last week. So we're going to start at verse 27. Uh, just now, just a moment ago, I said verse 34, but we'll start at verse 27, where Jesus says, my soul has become troubled. And what am I to say? Father, save, for, save me from this hour. Okay. Um, so Jesus talks about his hour again and again, and now that hour has arrived. It's the hour of suffering, the hour of crucifixion, the hour where he would give his life. Um, I think that we should understand that Jesus had a human nature. Um, he wasn't insane. He had a, you know, uh, he didn't have a, a death wish. He didn't have a desire to suffer or die just for that purpose. He wasn't some kind of a, a sadist, if you will. Um, he, uh, or I guess I should say a masochist, isn't that? Sadist is the one that likes to watch other people suffer. The masochist is the one that likes to suffer themselves. And that wasn't Jesus. He didn't enjoy the thought of going to the cross. So he says, should I say this? You know, Father, save me from this hour. And if we look at the synoptic gospels, again, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke accounts, when Jesus is in the garden, uh, you know, he suffers greatly. And he actually asks the father, you know, father, if there's any other way that this hour of suffering and death can, you know, pass by me, then let it be so. But if this is the only way, then not my will, but your will be done, which is the attitude that all of us should have. Um, But as I said at the outset, uh, this is Jesus' purpose for coming here. So he notifies us that, you know, um, yeah, I could say why, right? Or I could say, Father, save me from this. But here it is, for this purpose, I came to this hour. So, Father, glorify your name. Um, the Father never left his son alone. He was listening to every word. He responded verbally from heaven with affirmation to Jesus' cry. And what was the affirmation? I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The father had been glorified by everything that the son had said and done. And he would now be glorified by Jesus suffering and death on the cross, even if it didn't appear so at the time. And certainly it didn't appear so at the time, um, particularly to those who were there moments before, because um, they didn't understand what the scripture was teaching. I mean, we're, we're in the shadow of all of that. We're in the aftermath of all of that. And uh, we see how Christ has changed the world and how those who believe in Jesus have been changed. Um, uh, we understand from the scriptures that Jesus died for our sins, but they didn't understand any of that. You've got to put yourself in their shoes. Friends, you know, there are things that are happening in your life right now And you don't understand why. You say, God, why? And God's not afraid of your questions. The the, uh, more pertinent question is, are you afraid of his answers? You know, 
So, you know, I don't think it's bad to ask God why, as long as your why is not intended to just say, get away from me, God, I don't want to hear your answers. There are people that ask questions of God, but the intent is not to seek an answer. The intent is to push God away or to accuse God. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenging and difficult world. You know, read the book of Job. Uh, Job was doing everything right. And, you know, God allowed, you know, quote unquote, hell to be brought down on Job for a period of time. And Job was very angry with God. And, you know, interestingly, God answered Job. And the result was that Job got a vision of God that he did not have when everything was going his way. Okay. So at, really, Job is very long. And uh, for uh, a modern reader, it can seem tedious if you try to read the whole book. But I will say this. I would encourage you to read the whole book. But I would say this. You can understand what's going on in Job if you read the first two chapters and the last two chapters. Okay? The middle portion of Job is Job whining and crying. And, you know, again, I'm not making fun of him. He had a lot to whine and cry about. And his friends answering back and not comforting him. And then finally, there's a, there's a fourth young man that uh, we're unclear as to whether this was a friend or someone else, but it was, it was a younger man who didn't answer until the end. And, and he comes back and re rebuffs Job, right? But then God himself answers Job. And essentially the answer is I'm sovereign and I can do what I want to do. Um, and you just, you know, you're going to have to trust that God has a purpose. Well, what I want to bring that full circle around to is that Job says to God at the end, my ear had heard of thee, but now my eye sees thee. I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, Job had heard about God. Maybe you've been in church most of your life, your whole life. I don't know. And you've heard all about God and you've heard all about Jesus and you've heard all the stories. But have you had a vision of God? And I don't mean like, a, like you know, an angel or something like that, but have you, you know, has, has God been revealed to you in a way that is real to the, to the eye of faith? Um, interestingly, when you go through suffering, and you don't give up on God. You may be unhappy about it. And most of us are. I, again, we're like Jesus. We're not masochists. You know, Jesus said, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? We go through suffering. We can ask God why. But in the end, if you continue to trust God through that suffering, right? If you continue to cling to Jesus through that storm, then you'll get a better understanding in your heart of who God is as he sustains you in the midst of that. So um, Jesus says, makes a statement, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, I'll say, Father, glorify your name. And then God answers from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. There were, <coughs> excuse me, the people that were standing around made three responses to this, okay? Um, Hang on, let me, let me find it in the text here. 
There it is. Okay, verse 29. So the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. That's two responses. But obviously, at least John, in our gospel here, and presumably others that had faith, actually heard the voice of God and what God said. So there were three responses. First, it had thundered. Well, these would be the naturalists in the crowd. There are people that just can't believe in the supernatural. They don't see anything beyond, you know, what their five senses can uh, can um, receive, okay? Um, you know, if I can taste it, if I can see it, if I can smell it, if I can hear it. Well, they did hear this, but since they, you know, these folks didn't really believe, even though they would have said they believed in God, didn't really believe in anything beyond the natural, then they just heard thunder, okay? They just heard a crash of thunder. Um, and there are people today, they just need a natural explanation for everything. And they can never find God because they don't realize that God is above nature. He's beyond nature. He's the creator of nature. Therefore, he's not a part of nature. God is not a part of the natural world. He's above the natural world. He's beyond the natural world. He's transcendent, right? Um, so, you know, there can be naturalists that still think of God in a conceptual way, but he's not a reality because they can't bring themselves to believe in a supernatural reality. Okay, so that's one. It had thundered, the naturalists. And then there were those that said, an angel has spoken to him. Well, so maybe they heard the words, but they didn't recognize the voice of God. Oh, mercy. There are people that hear the Bible all day long. They don't recognize that the Bible is the word of God. They're not paying attention to the reality that God is seeking to speak to them. Um, in, for the purpose of our discussion here, I have called these that said an angel has spoken to him, the supernaturalists. Um, so yes, they believe in spirits and angels and demons and a lot of other things that don't even exist, like ghosts and, you know, we just finished Halloween last night, so... You know, you understand that there are people that believe in a lot of weird stuff, right? Um, but they don't recognize the voice of God because they don't know God. There are plenty of people. If you, if you run into people that say, well, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, right? Well, really, you know, that's a kind of religion, but it's reliance on sort of this um, feeling that they have, right? This... Um, difficult to define sense or whatever. Um, but God is a real person. You know, he's, uh, he's not just a, a feeling. He's not just an idea. So the first people would have seen God as or, or consider God an idea. The second group would consider, you know, a feeling or feelings that they have to be God. Um, these... Um, did not recognize that Jesus was the son of God, okay? But finally, we have those that, like John, who heard the voice of God, and that's the third group, right? The first group, you know, they have God as a concept, but they're naturalists, so they can't really lay hold of God as something beyond nature. And then you have the people that are, that are supernaturalists, but they're really just relying on their feelings, thoughts, feelings, okay? Um, but they still haven't understood who God is. And then finally, you have people that they hear the voice of God and they recognize the voice of God. By the way, 
that's where we find the Apostle Paul. He was actually in opposition, full-scale opposition to Jesus. Um, you know, he'd been raised as a Pharisee and you know, he saw this, uh, this Jesus as, you know, being something other than what uh, he had been brought up to believe God would, uh, would send to, or who God would send to the earth. And so he, Paul, who was Saul at the time, Saul of Tarsus was actively opposing the church. Remember, he was persecuting believers. Uh, he was the one in, at the end of uh, Acts chapter seven, it says he was, when they stoned Stephen, he was the one that was holding the coats, right? Of those that stoned Stephen. But here's the interesting thing. Although his ideas about God were incorrect, he was just following that school of the Pharisees. He still was an ardent, fervent, honest seeker after God. And so on the road to Damascus, he had letters from the Sanhedrin to take uh, the, uh, the Christians in Damascus captive and bring them, drag them back to Jerusalem and prosecute them. On the road to Damascus, a light flashes around him. And by the way, the light that flashed around the Apostle Paul um, was similar to this voice in that the people that were with Paul um, didn't recognize the voice of God as the voice of God spoke to Paul. The light flashed around, Paul fell to his knees, okay? And Paul heard this voice. Saul, Saul, this is what the voice said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That I might know, you know, who I'm persecuting. And then he said, I am Jesus, right? Well, interestingly, Saul recognized that that was the voice of God. Now get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what you should do, right? But the people that were with Saul, they had to lead him by the arm because he, now he was blinded by the light, right? And... um. They had to lead him, but they didn't recognize the voice. They were presumably like these that, you know, here that said it had thundered. They didn't recognize the voice. They didn't understand what was going on. So um, there are those who can hear the word of God, but all they hear are words, natural words, right? It's not the words of God. It is the word of God, the message of God. Okay, and you have to have faith and you have to have uh, the presence of the Spirit teaching you to recognize the Word of God, right? And I pray, you know, at the beginning of every Bible study that we have, I pray that your hearts will be open. I pray that you will recognize the Word of God, that you don't just see a guy up here, you know, wearing a sweatshirt and a hat talking, then you're just a naturalist. You don't have any faith, okay? Um, and you're not hearing the word of God. You need to hear the word of God as the message that he is intending for you. So we have a unique composition of our group here in the room tonight. Um, in fact, for the last several weeks it has been. Last week we had a bunch of new people. Um, and so I never know who God's gonna bring right? I don't. But I pray that you realize 
You think you came here because you wanted to come for whatever purpose, but God has a purpose for you being here, you know, online. I mean, maybe you're, you're, you know, you're just flipping around on Twitch um, or, you know, this is on Twitter now. Um, maybe you're, you know, on Facebook and, you know, you know me from years past. Maybe I was your youth minister or something, okay? Or maybe you're on YouTube. Uh, maybe you're intentionally, you know, you subscribe to our podcast or whatever. But I believe that God intended for you to hear this message. The question is, are you paying attention? Are you approaching this from a perspective of faith? Or, you know, are you just a naturalist? Um, so I pray that you are like the Apostle Paul. Maybe uh, you're not where you want to be in your faith, but you're seeking, you're seeking to do God's will. Then he'll reveal himself to you, okay? Um, so, you know, what is your response to this? Are you the naturalist? Are you kind of like uh, the supernaturalist? I'm spiritual and so forth. Or do you have genuine faith and can you lay hold of the word of God as it's being taught to you? All right, let's move along. Jesus says after the voice, uh, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Well, Satan was defeated when Jesus finished his work on the cross. In fact, we talk about Jesus finished work on the cross, Okay. Do you know what Jesus' last words or in Greek word was on the cross? It's recorded in John's gospel. Okay. Loudly, he says, it is finished. finished. And the reason I said word in Greek is because that phrase is actually one word in Greek, tetelestai. Okay. It's the... um, It's the Greek verb teleo in the perfect tense, right? And the perfect tense can be translated as a present, but we have a perfect tense in English, all right? Um, And so uh, we would say uh, something along the line of, let me think of a... um, a good phrase to help you understand it. Uh, I have been teaching. Okay, that's in the perfect tense. I have been teaching. Right, I have been teaching uh, from the Gospel of John since January. So I'm leaving that open. I have been teaching. I haven't told you that I've finished teaching from the Gospel of John, have I? I've told you that I have been teaching. I have been teaching all along. Going all the way back to January, that's when we started this, right? Or I could focus on this evening. I have been teaching since, well, we started late tonight, 7.15 or so. I'm still teaching. I have been, I am teaching, right? That focuses on the present moment. Tetelestai is, it has been completed, right? So Jesus started that work, right? I guess you could really say going all the way back to when he entered into this hour where we are right now. And on the cross, when he died, 
he says, it has been, fin- it is finished, right? Te telestai, right? So he finished his work. Satan was defeated then when Jesus finished his work on the cross. Um, Satan, the enemy, only rules the world because human beings give control to him by turning from God and believing in the devil's lies. We were originally given responsibility, the responsibility and privilege of ruling over the earth. Go back to Genesis chapter one. Human beings are made in God's image and they're given uh, responsibility to rule over the, uh, the earth. However, because of the fall into sin, human beings also fell under the control of the evil one. When Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed what binds us to the will of the devil. I want you to hear that again. He destroyed what binds us to the will of the evil one. He ended the curse of death. All we need to do to receive this is to believe. Um, here is uh, a statement from Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus himself, likewise, also partook of the same. So that through death, Jesus, it says he here, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. There it is again. And free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Slavery to what? Slavery to fear, slavery to sin. That was destroyed when Jesus died on the cross. However, you and I, like prisoners uh, in a prison that has been opened, but are still living as though it weren't open, okay, are not going to be free from that slavery, be free from that prison until we walk out of it. Okay, here's another interesting uh, way of understanding that. Um, The Apostle Paul and his companion Silas were beaten and put into a Roman jail in the town of Philippi. And they were singing hymns. And in the middle of the night, God shook the jail, he shook the prison, and the doors flew open. Okay, Well, Paul was a Roman citizen and he understood that if he simply walked out at that point, it would have meant the death of the person who was responsible for the jail, all right? The jailer, the Philippian jailer. And so knowing (coughs) that God had set him free, Paul waited for an opportunity to lead the Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. And he did, and he baptized him. And then he, you know, Paul left the, the jail the next day. But um, so there was a purpose for Paul to stay there a little longer. But there's no purpose for you to remain enslaved or in bondage to sin, right? The prison doors are open. You need to get up out of your cell and walk out. Why, Why sit around? Why, you know, wait there? Okay, if you continue to see yourself as a prisoner, you're like, well, look, I'm still wearing, you know, this, this, you know, the prison, prison orange. I still got my, you know, my, my rubber sandals and wow, wow, wow. Look at this. Look at this around me. I'm a prisoner. And God says, no, you're not. The doors are open. Get up 
and push on the door of your cell. You know what? It opens. Now walk out. Leave. That's the opportunity that we have because of what Jesus has done, right? The jailer in this case is the devil. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you don't have to pay any attention to the devil at all, right? Then Jesus says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So here the Lord um, clearly indicated that he was going to die on the cross. And as we've observed before in the gospel of John, um, being lifted up was a synonym for being raised up on the cross, okay? So, you know, surely you've seen, uh, you know, television or movies or whatever that uh, portray Jesus dying on the cross, okay? Uh, I'm thinking of the Passion of the Christ right now. You know, they nail him to the cross and then they, it's very dramatic in the Passion of the Christ. The music rises and they, you know, he's raised up, literally he's, you know, they pick him up. He's raised up before everybody and dropped into that hole, okay? So interestingly, the word that is used for being lifted up here could also mean uh, to be, uh, it could be used in a positive sense uh, regarding someone who is getting raised up socially. I, I saw a... Uh, um, a brief video. I don't know why these things get promoted. You know, social media is, uh, I don't know how those algorithms promote what they promote, okay? But I don't even remember which social media this was. Might have been Facebook. Um, but uh, you know how you'll have stuff from your friends, but then it will just promote other stuff, right? Randomly other stuff. So this was like a little post and it was about uh, like a middle school age kid who did a song uh, at, I'm guessing, like a talent show or something at his school. And he's, uh, he did a song, I don't know, some... He's young enough in middle school to where his voice is still uh, high enough so he can sing a, uh, you know, a song from uh, a female artist and it sound good, okay? He wasn't acting, you know, all this weird transgender, all this. He was just singing this song by... I can't even remember the artist's name, um, but he was singing this female artist's song. And a lot of times I won't even pay attention to those things, but apparently uh, this got posted to social media and it went viral. And suddenly uh, all of these different people um, in the uh, entertainment world were paying attention. And he got, you know, he was invited to, this must have been several years ago, because I think you, I want to say he was invited uh, like to the, Ellen DeGeneres show or something like that. And I don't know, I think she's gone out of business basically now. Um, but he was instantly elevated socially, right? I mean, he was raised up socially. Now, I don't know what's happening to, I'm, I'm assuming that this post is several years old. Um, <clears throat> and so I don't know what's happened to him in the wake of all of that. In fact, I, honestly, I don't even know his name and I can't remember the name of the artist the, of the song that he was singing. Although I did, you know, click through and found, found the link where he was singing and the audio was not that great. It was just somebody like recording it on a camera phone in the room. So it was real, you know, too much reverb, uh, too much echo in the room. But man, I could tell this kid's voice was incredible. 
I thought, wow, you know, I'm not even a trained anybody, but I can tell that his voice is incredible. Well, he was raised up, okay, uh, is what I'm saying. And that's, that would be the way that this word would be used. Well, the Romans derived a perverse pleasure in raising up on the cross those whom they wished to destroy socially and physically. It was a, it was a wry, insidious irony, right? God reversed their intent, however, the intent of the Romans and the religious leaders by raising Jesus up higher than anyone through resurrection and ascension to heaven. Listen to this from Philippians 2, 6 through 11. It's referring to Jesus. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So there Jesus descended to the lowest possible place. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. All right, well, I started late, but I still have a couple more minutes, so I'm gonna gonna hit these last few verses. It said, the crowd then answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How is it that you say the son of man must be lifted up? Well, who are we talking about as far as the crowd is concerned? Well, Jesus has been in the midst of the crowd since the triumphal entry. Uh, Going back to verse 12, on the next day when the large crowd had come to the feast, and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This is the audience that responded to God's voice from heaven just a little bit earlier, and now they're, they're responding to Jesus saying he must be lifted up. They appear to be a mixture uh, of a group of Judeans and those from other areas like Galilee and beyond. Um, 50 days later, we have the day of Pentecost, okay? And we have an indication of the variety of nationalities that are residing in and visiting Jerusalem. Listen, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, right? So while a great majority of those in the crowd were Jews, they would have had varying degrees of knowledge about the scriptures and varying opinions about Messiah, but all who were familiar with the law, what we would call the Old Testament, would agree that Messiah was coming to establish a kingdom on earth forever. They could not foresee that the Messiah would first die for their sins so that they would be fit for the kingdom, then rise from the dead and destroy the curse forever and open the kingdom to all people. They simply understood the Davidic throne, right? The throne of David would be reestablished and perpetuated the same way it began as an earthly reign by a chosen earthly king. Today, many Jews who don't believe in Jesus and, you know, reject him as Messiah continue to believe in this same way. Well, the reality is Jesus is going to return. He promised that he was going to return. And when he returns to earth, visibly, he is going to set up a kingdom. However, the kingdom of God is already among us, right? Um, 
remember what uh, Jesus said in Luke. He said <clears throat> in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst, right? Um, sometimes you've heard that as the kingdom of God is within you and it's, it's made very private. But the you there is plural, right? We don't see that in English anymore. The old ye in uh, Old English or Middle English uh, helps us to understand the second person plural. Well, the second person plural here, the kingdom of God is within ye, right? And when it's a group, we could also say among you. And that's what uh, it is here. Um, so wherever there are believers who have called on Jesus to be their Lord, that is where the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God, look, is right here in this room. Are you a believer in Jesus? Then the kingdom of God is right here in this room. What is required for a kingdom? A king and subjects. Have you subjected your life to Jesus? He's the king. We're his subjects. The kingdom of God is being expressed right here. The kingdom of God is amid, uh, amidst and among all of the nations of the world, right? There are little pockets of Christians everywhere. I know that we're all concerned. I hope you're concerned about what's going on uh, in uh, the Middle East right now, what's going on uh, in Israel and Gaza right now. I need to tell you something. There are Christians in Gaza, okay? I mean, Hamas is in control of that that territory and, um, you know, horrible things are happening right now. The, you know, Israel is striking back and a lot of innocent people are dying and it's, it's horrific. Um, but they hide under mosques. They, they literally, they have tunnels under mosques and under hospitals and under schools because they want there to be civilian casualties. They want that to be broadcast on television. So the Israelis will be seen as monsters, but you need to understand that doesn't mean that all these Gazans, right? The people that are living there are evil people. They're just people, man. And there are Christians there as well. There, there are Christians in Gaza. There are Christians in Israel. There are Christians in Iran. Okay? And these are nations that are, you know, being, or several of them I mentioned anywhere, they're being run by terrible people. Okay? but we need to see that the kingdom of God is being expressed everywhere. Um, and we need to be praying for these folks. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They really are, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna end with this quote that Jesus uh, made here. I think it's important and I wanna send you away with something positive. Jesus said, walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Well, Jesus has already said, he's already made the case. John 8, 12, go back four chapters, okay? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. What is he talking about? He is the light of revelation from God. He is God's word. Remember, that's how John's gospel starts. I am, or me to say I am. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God's, God's message, so now you're in the light because you're listening to the revealed word of God in John's gospel. Choose to believe and continue walking in the light of his truth. Friends, don't wander out into the darkness of doubt and the blackness of disbelief. 
Continue to believe. Choose to believe and continue walking in the light of his truth. If you leave this room doubting, if you turn off that broadcast doubting, then you're walking away from the light and into the darkness of this world, which includes atheism, religion, right? The insidious irony is that those who walk in the darkness oftentimes believe that they are enlightened. Our world is filled with self-assured people who are entirely misled by the lies of the father of lies. Remain in Jesus Christ, friend. He is the light of the world. And those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Continue to believe the truth found in the Bible. As soon as you open the door to doubt, you let darkness into your heart. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe the light so that you may become sons of light. When you believe, you reflect the light to other people in the world. This is what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. You need to say that to yourself. If you believe in Jesus, you need to say, I am the light of the world. But you are the light in the same way the moon lights the night, okay? It reflects the light of the sun. When you walk in proximity to the son of God, he's the sun, S-U-N, you are the moon and you reflect his light. So I'll conclude with what Jesus said there. You are the light of the world. He's talking to his disciples. And if you, you said a moment ago, those of you here, some of you there uh, online would say, yes, I, I do believe in Jesus. Then Jesus would say this to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they see you, that they see that you're a good person? No, that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, follow close to Jesus, reflect the light, and be the light of the world to others. All right? Thank you for joining us online.